good morning. Take your copy of the scriptures and turn with me to Mark chapter 12. As we consider a parable that Jesus gave, I'm going to begin reading at verse 1, and we'll read all the way down through verse 12. Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. We read these words. And he began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it and digged a place for the wine vat and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And at the season, he sent to the husbandmen the servant that he might receive from the husbandmen of the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. And again, he sent unto them another servant, and at him they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handled. And again, he sent another. Him they killed and many others, beating some and killing some. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying, They will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said amongst themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him, and killed him, and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come out and destroy the husbandmen, and will give the vineyard unto others. And have ye not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. And they left him and went their way. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, in this moment we come humbly before you, gathered together as the assembly of saints, reading your word, singing songs together, giving a portion of what you have given to us, fellowshipping and exhorting one another, yet again this Lord's day. And so we do until our Messiah, Jesus, returns. We pray that you would be honored as we look to your word now that you would help me to speak with clarity the truth that's in it, no more, no less, and that we might be able to take applications and truths that would be applicable to our lives even as we go forth from this place, serving you till Jesus comes. We pray that you be glorified, for we ask it in his name. Amen. When Jesus gave parables, it was one of those things where he was revealing something but also hiding something at the same time. When he frequently, when you read in the Gospels a parable that Jesus gives, people are confused. And usually it's the religious leaders, the ones that Jesus is most often interacting with, he's sparring with, he's interacting with them, trying to expose their errors, their issues, their hypocrisy, their pride. And so he speaks in these parables, these stories, utilizing things that were common in their day. But oftentimes, even his own disciples who spent day after day and hour after hour and moment after moment with him were also confused. 
And perhaps you read Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, and you see this story of an husbandman, it says in the King James, and in our modern parlance, we would say a vine dresser. You see him talking about vine dressers and an owner of a vineyard and these, these vine dressers who are attacking the men who were sent to gather the rightful um, blessings from that vineyard to the owner. And you think, what is he talking about? I'm very confused. And even when Jesus makes it clear in some parables what he's saying, oftentimes the disciples still don't get it. But in this one particular parable, we see a break from that pattern. Because in verse 12, the people that Jesus is speaking to knew exactly what he was talking about. Not only what he was talking about, they knew he was talking about them. This morning, I would like to briefly share with you what I believe Jesus was trying to get across to them and that we must also understand today. Let's look at the parable itself. The parable is simple. In verse 1, we read that Jesus says there was a certain man and he himself planted a vineyard. I don't know how many of you in this room have done any kind of work with a vineyard or, or with trellises and vines and things like that, but I know my grandpa growing up had built this trellis and had grape vines growing on it, and, and it, was, it was quite an ordeal, and, and he had to keep up with it. Whoever this owner was in Jesus' mind, clearly he was a diligent man, because see what he did when he planted this vineyard. He planted it. He set a hedge about it. He digged a place for the wine vat. He built a tower. He went through great care and expense to prepare this vine and this vineyard to yield abundant fruit. And he goes away. It was not uncommon in Jesus' day for somebody who was a wealthy landowner to lease out the land to somebody, and those people would go work the land, and then he would actually reap the benefits by paying them and that, or letting them live on the land, and they would do all of the work for him so that he would get, of course, the profit out of it. So what Jesus is saying here is not unusual in that time. This guy goes... And he leases it out to, in the King James, it says husbandmen. Again, we would say vine dressers. And it says he went into a far country. So he has built this vineyard and gone away. And just like anything else, the time comes as these vine dressers have been carefully tending to the vine, making sure that it's cared for, making sure that it's healthy, and are now reaping the harvest from the vine. At the season, the time for them to gather the harvest, to gather the, the, the wine from these, these grape vines, he sends a slave of his. He says, go over to my far distant land, and there I have lands with vine dressers. And I want you to go over there and get the wine that's rightfully mine. I want to gather the fruit of the labors of these men. And normally, if you were somebody who was leasing land from an owner such as this man, you would have immediately complied. But Jesus changes the story of what, or at least what they would have expected by in the story saying, these vine dressers not only did not receive that servant, but they caught him, verse 4, and they beat him and sent him away empty. This would have come as a shock to the listeners. 
And who's listening, by the way? I should have mentioned back in chapter 11, verse 27, Jesus is going into Jerusalem and as he was walking in the temple, there came to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. So he's talking to the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders within the Jewish community. And he's been talking with them about his authority, and that's at the point when he begins to speak of this parable. So at this point, the Sanhedrin, these religious leaders, hear that these vine dressers beat the slave and send him away empty-handed. If you were in the shoes of somebody like a David, when he hears the story that Nathan the prophet gives to him, there should be a righteous indignation that rises in you. These religious leaders who knew the law, who knew that Yahweh, God of Israel, was a faithful, loving God to the helpless. And when he sees somebody who is being abused or mistreated or maligned, that he would come to their defense, of course these religious leaders should have said, well, that's terrible. How dare those vine dressers treat the slave of that kind owner in such a malicious way? But Jesus continues on, and we read that that vine vineyard owner sends another one, another slave. And at this one, they begin to throw stones. And it's not like they're just throwing pebbles at him, you know, oh, wow, get out of here, you weirdo. No, they are throwing stones with the intent to hurt, to kill. They wounded him in the head and they shamefully treated him. And yet this owner, once again, sends another slave At this point, most of us in our 21st century American context think, well, we need to be sending the law after those guys. We need to be persecuting them to the full extent of the law. They cannot get away with this. But Jesus says this landowner, this vineyard owner, sends another slave, hoping against hope that they will finally understand that they need to yield to his command. And that in love, he's simply trying to gather what is rightfully his. But again, this one, not only did they mistreat, but in verse 5, Jesus says, they killed him. And then notice the next phrase, and many others, beating some, killing others. It's not like this landowner, this vineyard owner, is just saying, you know what, I'm going to roll over and forget it. This is not worth the effort. And it's also not like he's saying, you know what? I am going to send the law after them. They will be crucified. They will be beaten. And then I'll have my revenge against them. But he is persistently, perseveringly sending his slaves to gather what's rightfully his. And these poor slaves are simply doing what they're told to do. The master told them, go to the far land, get my wine. It's not like they have anything personal against these vine dressers. But they are beaten, some of them killed. Meanwhile, in the far off land, the vineyard owner is thinking, I cannot believe this. They will not respect my authority, they will not respect my slaves. But I have one son. And Jesus says that this vineyard owner well-beloved his son. I'll take my son and I'll say, son, I have a task for you. Go into that far-off land and where those vine dressers have repeatedly ignored my command to give to me the fruit of the vines that are rightfully mine, 
I want you to go and tell them, thus says the master, give me what's mine. For surely, the owner thought, they'll respect him. He's my son. They know me. They know I love him. But in verse 7, when those vine dressers see him coming, they immediately recognize by the apparel of the son that this is the well-beloved one. And so they say to themselves, look, look who's coming. He has the audacity to send not a slave, but his son. He's the heir of this man's wealth. There's nobody else to share it with. He's the heir. He's the rich one. When his father dies, he will be the one who will own this vineyard. So come. Verse 9. Excuse me, verse 7. Come, let us kill him, and then the inheritance shall be ours. For the first time now, we begin to see the hearts of these vine dressers. Before, we're confused. Why are they attacking these servants? Why are they not listening to the command of the owner of the vineyard? Why are they being so malicious, so hateful, so unkind? And here's the reality. In verse 7, we realize that they have an antagonism, an antipathy towards the owner. They hate him so much that they are willing to kill his well-beloved son with the intent that the inheritance would become theirs. And what would the inheritance be? Well, of course, it would be the land that they are leasing right now from that owner. They think that the inheritance would somehow be given to them. At this point, the owner has done nothing to press legal charges. The owner has done nothing to actually go over there himself and deal with them. He's only sent messenger after messenger, and perhaps these vine dressers are thinking, what a weak sauce man. If we kill his son, I mean, we've, we have killed some of his slaves. We have beaten some of his slaves. They have done, he's done nothing about those. Now he's sending his son thinking, we care about that. Let's kill him. And he'll just roll over and he'll be like, fine, you guys can have all the vineyard. You can have all the land, all of the proceeds, everything. You can have it all. That's what they think. They say the inheritance will be ours. So in verse 8, they took him and they killed him and they cast him out of the vineyard. Jesus pauses and then asks the question, What will the Lord of the vineyard do? What will the owner, the curios, the Lord, the sovereign of the vineyard, what will he do? Will he do what those vine dressers expect him to do? Roll over and say, whatever, you guys do whatever you want. That's it, I'm done. You beat me. But Jesus answers, he will come. And destroy the vine dressers and will give the vineyard to others. Notice that there's nothing wrong with the vineyard. The vineyard itself has been yielding the fruit as God intended a vine to do. The owner is not upset with the vineyard, he's upset with the vine dressers. And he will destroy them and give that vineyard, not to them as they expect. The inheritance will not be theirs, but to others. 
And then Jesus looks at these religious leaders who knew the Old Testament like the back of their hand. And he says, have you not read the scripture? He quotes from Psalm 118. The stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. Or perhaps your translation says the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. And with that, Jesus continues to stare at them and ends his parable. The parable itself is very straightforward. But there are in parables points that Jesus is trying to get across. And typically, typically, when there is a parable, when you have main characters in the parable, Jesus is symbolizing those main characters as somebody or something real. In this particular parable, there are three characters, and each character provides for us the point he's trying to get across. Who are the three characters? Well, the first one, of course, is the owner of the vineyard. He starts out with that in verse 1. There was a certain man who planted a vineyard, and he does all of these things to care for the vineyard. The second character is that of the vine dressers, these people who are leasing the land from this man and who are caring for it, tending to the vineyards, etc. And the third character, albeit a somewhat passive role in this story, is that of the son, the one whom the owner sends to address the problem of the vine dressers. These three characters represent real characters that Jesus was getting across, and these religious leaders knew it. Who was the owner of the vineyard? The owner of the vineyard was, of course, God. Any of these religious leaders, when they hear the very first phrases of chapter 12, verse 1, know that when Jesus speaks of a vineyard and a certain man who's caring carefully and tending carefully to the vineyard will immediately think of an Old Testament passage. Do you know what that passage is? That passage is Isaiah chapter 5. Turn with me there, if you will, briefly. Isaiah 5. Here is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. God speaking through the prophet Isaiah says in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 5, Now will I send to my well-beloved, uh, sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And notice what God says he did with this vineyard. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. Here is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah of a vineyard that he has built. And this vineyard that he has built is none other than his special people, Israel. He's built this vineyard, Israel. He's cared for Israel. He's provided for Israel. He's given Israel everything she needs in order to have a successful relationship with him. And what does he do? He cares for her. He makes everything possible for her to succeed But what does she yield forth to him but wild grapes? 
Here, the problem is with the vineyard, not the vine dresser. God is the vine dresser, and he has carefully tended to his vineyard. And when, when Isaiah speaks in verse 3, here's what God says through the prophet, Now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could I have, what could I have done more to my vineyard that I have not done to it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste, and it shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. And I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. And the, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel." And the men of Judah, his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry. So woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, that there be no place, that they be placed alone in the midst of the earth. In mine ears, saith the Lord of hosts, of a truth, many houses shall be desolate, even great and fair, without inhabitant. Yea, ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and the seed of an homer shall yield an ephah. And he continues on talking about the fact that he has, he has placed judgment upon this vineyard because she has refused to yield the fruit he so carefully and diligently labored for. In the parable Jesus gives in Mark 12, the issue is not with the vineyard. The issue is with the vine dressers. And once more, the owner of the vineyard is that sovereign God himself, Yahweh. And he has carefully placed this vineyard and set a hedge about it and digged a place for the wine vat and built a tower. But this time, rather than him gathering the results, the fruits of it, he gives it to vine dressers. Who are these vine dressers? Who are the vine dressers? Jesus was staring right at him. The Sanhedrin, these religious leaders who had the copy of the scriptures, who knew this very idea or concept of Israel being a vine, a vineyard, and that they as the leaders were responsible to care and tend for the vineyard, for the master. And over the course of Israel's history, what do you see but the vine dressers, the leaders of Israel, repeatedly being wicked and faithless and unbelieving? One other character, not main characters, but ancillary characters, are those of the servants. And I'll just briefly mention that, of course, you could probably guess these servants, Jesus is representing the prophets. The messengers, the faithful ones who were sent to give messages from the Lord. Thus says the word of the Lord. But what did the vine dressers do? Repeatedly and increasingly antagonistic, they responded with hatred and vitriol and anger. Not because they cared that much or, 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 or were so angry with the prophets themselves but because they hated the one who gave the message to them. So much so that they beat them 
They sent them away. They disregarded the message. They didn't care about whose authority those prophets came in. The religious leaders throughout Israel's history continued over and over and over again to reject God's word. And Jesus says, look, it's no different today. You guys, you Pharisees, you scribes, you Sadducees, you elders, you know the truth. You, of all people, are literate. Most of the people in Jesus' day were not. Not only were they not literate, but even if they were, they wouldn't have had copies of God's word. They would have to go to the temple or go to, to the, the synagogue to hear it read and explained. And Jesus says, you religious leaders, you of all people should know that these prophets were giving the message from God. And even as you speak with your mouth the words from Holy Scripture, you're no different than these vine dressers who ignored the message of the prophets. Jesus has repeatedly, over the course of his three-year ministry, been trying to display to these people who he is over and over again. He's healed the blind He's made the lame to walk again. He's caused someone who is deaf to be able to hear, the mute to speak. He's even raised people from the dead. The prophets spoke of his day. And these people who saw the works of Jesus said, wait, were you doing that on the Sabbath? Wait a minute, you, your disciples, you're letting them eat from the bread on the Sabbath day, the, the show bread. They were missing the point of who Jesus is. And as a result, they were rejecting his message. The third character, of course, is the son in the story. And the owner, God the Father, says, I will send my well-beloved son there were people at the baptism of Jesus who heard the Father say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus is the beloved Son. And God the Father says, they have not listened to my prophets, they have not listened to my messengers, they have not listened to the patriarchs, I will finally send my son. But the people who should have loved and respected and honored and embraced and welcomed the son killed him. These religious leaders, as they see this story, understand that they are the vine dressers. They know the problem here is them. And they know Jesus is pointing directly at them. In fact, I, I really do think that the, the meek and lowly Jesus was still with boldness and the fierce intensity of the stare of a lion staring at those religious leaders, letting them know that even though he, was, he had come this time as the lamb for the slaughter, he was not a helpless lamb. The result... In verse 9, Jesus asked then, is what will God, the owner of his vineyard, do? The owner of his people, whom he has entrusted 
these leaders to care for and to love, what will he do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers. God, just as he did in Isaiah 5, responds with judgment at the rejection of his love and care. Here he sent his only son, his one and only beloved son to earth and displayed miracle after miracle and action after action that clearly identified him as the Messiah and they rejected him. The irony of this entire thing is that in verse 12, we read that these religious leaders sought to lay hold of him. And why were they wanting to do that? Of course, because they wanted to kill him. They're fulfilling the exact thing Jesus said the vine dressers were doing. They wanted to kill him. They revealed the intent of their heart. But they still feared what the people thought. And they let him go. Jesus quotes Psalm 118, saying, The stone which the builders rejected has become now the chief cornerstone. What is happening here is that there are three things I think Jesus is conveying to us and to these religious leaders as we finish up. And each point coincides with each of the characters. The first point, I believe, is that there is a sovereign purpose throughout all of this. Notice that the owner of the vineyard is the one who planted the vineyard. He built the vineyard. It's not like he's this aloof, distant owner saying, all right, you guys go do all the work and I'll just gather and reap the benefits later on. He has labored diligently and cared for this vineyard. He has built this vineyard. This is a precious vineyard to him. He had a purpose behind it. His purpose was to maintain and love his people. When God labors in us, how much must it grieve the sovereign Lord's heart when we yield wild grapes? You have Jesus Christ. If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, you have Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit residing within you. How much must it grieve his heart to see that the person he has purchased with his blood should so resist the working of his spirit to the point that we yield wild grapes? Are you yielding wild grapes? Do you understand that God, as the vineyard owner, the one who loves his people, wants you to yield good fruit and he's done so by carefully and gently leading you and guiding you and providing for you his word, giving you family who love God, giving you a spiritual family who exhorts you. Why should we not gather together on Sundays if we know that the whole point is that God should maintain and diligently care for the souls of his people. How could we love lesser things than to gather together as saints on the Lord's day? 
But notice, not only did he care for this vineyard at the beginning, but at the end, Jesus says that when he judges those vine dressers, he's going to give that vineyard to others. I think Jesus was telling Israel something as well. You have rejected your Messiah. You have refused to acknowledge that the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 is your Messiah. You have been blind. But part of this whole plan was to bring about a people that would include more than just you, Israel. It would include the blessing of knowing and loving the Gentile people as well. That's probably most, if not all of us in this room, that he would make this new people. That's the purpose of this owner. And he did so with care and gentleness. And I just also want to point out what a patient father he is. When these vine dressers are repeatedly rejecting his authority and rejecting his message, he's sending another one. And he's sending another one. And he's sending another one. Listen, how many times has that happened for you? How many times has God been gentle and patient with you when you were wayward? When he has clearly given to you his word and you've rejected it and said, no, I want this instead. No, I want that instead. No, I want that instead. And rather than doing what he has the sovereign right to do, which is to squish you and say, that's it, I'm done with that guy. I'm done with that girl. That he gently continued to pursue you. Did he not do that with Israel? Israel continued over and over again to reject him and his leadership. And what does God do? He says, I will woo you. I will win you. I will continue to pursue you. Of course he judged her. Of course he chastised her. But he never cast her off forever. And if you are here today not knowing Jesus as your Savior, he has not cast you off forever yet you have an opportunity to believe and embrace the message that Jesus came to fulfill, the message of the gospel. That Jesus, the Son, who would die at the hands of the vine dressers, of the leaders of Israel, that he died in your place and he rose again from the dead to give you life. That if you should confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God did indeed raise him from the dead, the guarantee is you will be saved. God is pursuing you. And he's also continuing to pursue us as Christians when we fail. I, feel, I felt that this entire week. I failed over and over and over again. You did too, I'm sure. But God continued to set his love upon us and to perhaps at times chastise us, but continued to faithfully and patiently pursue us. What a gentle, loving, sovereign father we have. The second point he's giving, I believe, though, is that of divine judgment, and that coincides with the vine dressers. These leaders rejected his message, rejected his messengers. Notice that it says that they, had, they continued to reject all of the, the servants that were sent. Those are the prophets. They rejected the son to the point that they killed him. That's, that's Jesus. But ultimately, they rejected God himself. They did not love him. They loved their caricature of him. 
They love themselves. Are you in here today rejecting the prophets? Are you in here today rejecting the Son? Are you in here today rejecting God? While God is patient, while God is faithful, while God is pursuing you, that doesn't mean it is infinite. There will come a day if you refuse consistently like these vine dressers to listen to the message of God in the gospel. When you take your final breath, your fate is sealed and judgment is sure. These vine dressers would for sure receive judgment, Jesus says. He will come, that owner will come and destroy the husbandmen. Strong language. This isn't a slap on the wrist. This isn't a, well, we'll send him in jail for 10 years and we'll let him out on good behavior, on probation. This is, he will be destroyed. Which is why Paul would appeal so strongly to Israel when he says, my heart's cry is that Israel would be saved. And he says that we are on behalf of Christ appealing to you to be reconciled to God. Sometimes we'll make the mistake of saying God's patience is infinite. No, it's not. There is a time when his patience is done. And so all of us who love Jesus are appealing to anybody in this room, don't wait. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Do not wait. For judgment is sure to those who reject the Lord. But the third point, I believe, is that Jesus talks about a sacrificial Savior. Because in verse 10, he, he quotes from Psalm 118 and says, The stone which the builders rejected. In the parable, what was rejected? The son. The stone which the builders rejected has become what? Not refuse. Not garbage. Not unusable brick but the chief cornerstone. Something that was intended by mankind to be done with evil, God takes and uses to accomplish his beautiful and perfect and majestic and wonderful purpose. Even if these vine dressers of Israel were rejecting Jesus, nevertheless, God would take by the determinate forecounsel of his will to take the wicked actions of the leaders of Israel who would ultimately desire to kill Jesus. They wanted to in verse 12. He would take those wicked desires and still bring about one of the most beautiful and glorious things there is. The salvation of the soul's of those who place their faith in him. He has become the chief cornerstone. And so the appeal is the same in all three points. Have you believed in the Son of God? It is a dangerous thing, the scripture says, to fall into the hands of the living God. But what a wonderful thing it is to be in the loving arms and the faithful clutch of the one you've embraced by faith to save you from your sins. So my appeal today is twofold. First of all, if you have not trusted Jesus, trust Christ today. He is the son who died in your place. 
And the second appeal is if you have embraced him, don't be faithless. God continues to set his love upon his children. And sometimes it's a tough love. It's a chastising love. But it's a pursuing, faithful, gentle love for you. So be the vineyard that yields not wild grapes, but good grapes. And continue by faith to embrace Jesus till he comes. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, the faithful one of Israel, the one who has gently labored in his vineyard, I do not know of all the souls in this room, Lord, but you do. So I take a moment today to appeal to those of you in this room. If you have not trusted Christ, today is the day to do that. If you would like to talk with somebody, Pastor Dixon or myself or any of the deacons would love to sit down and share with you how you can know that you have a right relationship with God. Lord, that's my prayer, that you would save the souls of those who do not know you in this room. And for those of us who do know you, that you would give us a fervency to love the owner of the vineyard, to proclaim the message that he has given faithfully, the message of the gospel, the good news, the hope that we have of finding new life in him. For it is indeed a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Please give us faithful hearts Help us to love your word. Help us to proclaim it till you come. For we pray it in the Son's name, Jesus. Amen.